given Sam's history of masking his appearance and being very cold and calculating about his publicity, I could definitely take the argument, maybe I would lean to the argument that this is also part of his plan, that this is also very much calculated. And he's using this kind of childish, I was too young, got caught up in things. I'm learning my lesson. I'm sorry. But that can't work, right? No. Absolutely no, because he stole again, sixteen billion. Because he dollars. stole sixteen billion dollars. Bankless Nation, happy first Friday of December, David. Hard to believe we're in the twelfth month of the year, and best I just want this year to be best. Month is it? Of the year. It is Why, the best. De- December is the best month of the year. Oh, your birthday! I knew this. Oh no, I'm not going to be that <laughs> that narcissistic <laughs> about it. I mean, it's a contributing <laughs> factor, but perhaps, yeah. I didn't mean to imply. <laughs> yes, uh, of course. I'm sure you think Christmas and the holidays and spending time with loved ones. Yeah, the Skiing, Yeah, nothing uh-huh. to do with your birthday, right? Well, I mean, it's just one of many nice things about December. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I'm glad for this year to be over in crypto. To be yeah, also that. that. Is, I want to put this behind us. Also, I'm. Claiming that it's going to be a bullish month. Prices will be up in 30 days. Do you remember, um, I think, depth of the bear market was like December 2018? Was it 2019? Last time? Yeah. uh Right at the end of the year. Yeah. But you don't think, you already think we bottomed. I I think so. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about that. A few things to talk about this week. Number one, SBF, he's given interviews now. What the hell? All right. Against legal advice. I can't imagine those lawyers are very happy about this. And He's uh, going on a tour, dude. Why? The SBF why? Redemption Tour. The redemption arc has already started. But before we get to all of that mess, we've got to talk about all the bottom signals and why I think it's going to be a bullish month. Uh, because bottom signals, Ryan, are abound. Uh, and there's also some bullish signals. The Ethereum ecosystem is winning some key infrastructure from other chains. Also, layer two ecosystem metrics are at all-time highs. But there's one big announcement, Ryan, that I know you're super excited for. I'm super excited. Do you want to tease it? or do you Well, this wanna, could be the would... biggest bottom signal at all. Maybe I'll just say it. Hopefully. And we'll tease it, okay? We acquired a company. What? We can like, do that? Like, for real this time. This is not a Wells Fargo prank. This is not, you know, us putting our uh, bankless who, name on the Philadelphia Flyers uh, stadium. This is real. We really did this. The podcast. A podcast did this. Uh, seriously, guys, this is a new tool for the Bankless Nation. We want to tell you all about it. Uh, so we'll get to all of these topics. All right, guys, let's talk about Bitcoin. Is it falling on its face? Did it just fall off a scooter or is it doing okay? This week? Up or down? <laughs> Can we forget about this scooter? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to forget. Uh, Bitcoin is up 2.5% this week, so it okay. stayed on the scooter. Happy music. <laughs> yeah, it, start, it started the week at $16,500, ending the week at $17,000, up 2.5%. Nice job, Bitcoin. Well, uh, and ETH this week, what's it got? A motorized scooter? It's like a moped scooter. God damn it. <laughs> uh, Ether is up 6% on the week. Started the week at $1,200, ending the week at $1,275. 6%. You know what? David's so tempted to call the bottom. He's so tempted right now to be like, Ryan, we're never going to triple digits. And the last seven days proves it, aren't you? I'm not just reading your mind uh, right now. God, I would love to be able to call the fact that we're not going back to triple digits. You're not uh, going I don't to? Have, I don't have complete confidence. Well, like... <gasps> It's uh, going to be a long 2023, and it's going to be crabbish. Um, like, yeah, I don't know. Do you know okay, damn, it so feels good, man. I don't. I don't. We we actually didn't include this in the agenda because it was just a, a thing. But uh, Powell had a meeting this week, and he was mm-hmm. super dovish. Mm-hmm. Meeting uh, on interest rates. It just mm-hmm. like 
giving very warm signals that like we'd reached the top as, as far as interest rates and stocks really popped after that. And I think crypto is up as a result of that too. Mm. So um, that could be playing in anyway. We'll talk about that in future weeks on the Fed Watch. But tell us about the ratio up or down ETH to Bitcoin. ETH Bitcoin ratio up three point seven percent. We are currently at point zero seven five three. Nice. This ratio is holding strong. In it's fact, it's do, like it's doing great. Man. It's doing great. Is that why so many angry Bitcoin maximalists are in my mentions these days? Um, is that new? Uh, it gets worse when the ratio's up. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> I think there's a correlation. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about total crypto market cap. Where are we? Under a trillion still? Yeah, still under a trillion. We're at $890 billion. We gained $20 billion in market cap on the week. Okay, not a bad gain. Uh, bottom signals. Yeah, David, we got some bottom these. signals. Fuck okay, it. what are the bottom signals? Uh, so uh, one of the big bottom signals is going on is just the absolute wreckage that is happening happening in the Bitcoin miner world, which sounds bad, which sounds bearish. But that's why it's a bottom signal. This has always marked uh, close to or the bottom in previous cycles where Bitcoin miners are not profitable. They are they underwater. go to business, right? Yeah. They go bankrupt, don't they? Many of them do, yeah. So an Ant Miner 19, which is one of the most recent miners, uh, Bitcoin ASIC units, uh-huh. uh, more, one of the more recent ones, is now a negative unit at the average United States industrial electricity price. So if you have, a, if you have a, one of the more modern uh, Bitcoin miners and you have average uh, American U.S. industrial electricity, you are not making money as a Bitcoin miner. So what do you do? You turn them off, right? You turn them off. Yes, mm. right. Uh, you also sell Bitcoins, by the way, which is what this graph is showing from Will Clemente. Bitcoin miners have been selling relatively aggressively combined with a hash rate decline and thus today's hash ribbons bearish cross, which is what the graph uh, is indicating. This indicates that we are indeed in a minor of uh, period of minor capitulation. So miners have bills they got to pay. They're selling Bitcoin at the bottom to pay those bills. They're turning their miners off. Uh, and this, these are all things that happen at the bottom, Ryan. Oof, look at all this red. That's what That's a, a, lot uh, of red. a hash ribbon bearish cross looks like. It looks like a lot of red. Um, <laughs> what about this one from Zach Vowell? This is uh, from Zach Vol, who pays attention cool. to the Bitcoin mining, mining world, and he just like doc- he do- documents everything that happens in uh, mining in, in a month. Uh, Bitfarms pays down $27 million of debt. Cathedra announces payroll cuts. Uh, Iris Energy is unable to service loans and unplugs machines. Manitoba? I don't know any of these mining companies. Manitoba, Manitoba. and a... a and enacts 18-month moratorium on new mining projects. That, that, that's a Canadian province, not a oh. mining company. But. Oh, I had no Canada idea. Facts. I had no <laughs> idea. Uh, new York governor signs two-year moratorium on new mining projects. We've covered that last week. Hydro-Quebec, Hydro, which I'm assuming is a Canadian utilities service, asks Canada Energy uh, to suspend allocations to miners. Oof. Uh, Applied Digital launches a $100 million fund for distressed crypto assets, including mining. Uh, Stronghold reports a net loss of $50 million in Q3. Compute Norris sells mining assets to Generate Capital, its former lender, and a bunch of other mining-related topics. But yeah, just like a bleak month in the, in the world. A lot of, of blood Bitcoin in the streets. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it time to buy it? Blood in the streets? Buy, yeah, so if you are a capitalized equipment? miner, you are buying blood. Yeah. Mm, but you have to not be out of blood in order to buy Yes, you have blood. to have your own blood, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you need some blood bags. This is weird. So Ryan Selkis tweet. <laughs> uh, you say this is another bottom signal, mm-hmm. DCG's death. So we did a few episodes on DCG. And we, mm-hmm. we, we called this the last domino to fall. Uh, to, to fall. And this is, of course, Genesis uh, mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Um, this is Ryan Selkis tweeting, the reports of DCG's death are greatly exaggerated. DCG is fine. 
Masari will report tomorrow. I guess they reported today, but what's the the TLDR of this? Is DCG actually, maybe that last domino to fall hasn't fully fallen? Maybe it's just wobbly or maybe the fall won't be as, as hard? Is that what we're looking at here? Yeah, I'm trusting Ryan Selkis's uh, analysis and interpretation of events here, but he's just saying that like, yeah, DCG got hit. Genesis got hit, but they're going to like, they're going to make it. Make, they're going to make it. They're definitely going to have a scar, but they're going to make it, uh, which means that, that, you know, that's the, the contagion stops there. If that is true. You think the contagion stops there? If that is true. Okay. If that's true, if that's true, the contagion is stopped there. I, I think mm-hmm. some other veterans are calling for the, the, the bottom and it, this is not yet backed by evidence. All right. We're seeing right. things like, Bitcoin miner capitulation, which we see at the, the end of all uh, bottom markets. We're seeing maybe the last of the contagion and sort of a, a restore of, of health. I still personally think, David, we've got the the doldrums ahead of us sure. where apathy comes into the market we've talked right. about. But some OGs, some veterans are also saying that this feels bottom signally. This is mm-hmm. uh, signally. Bottom signally. This is Phil Benella, who's been in the space for a while. Every, on the everyone. Podcast, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Hey, Phil. Everyone that could be broken has been. Everyone that could be broken has been. There's nobody left to sell and no margin left to liquidate. The risk reward has not been this attractive in four years. It's not easy, but right now it pays to be an optimist among pessimists. By the way, that's what the bottom feels like. Yeah. It's it's like it starts to really pay to be an optimist when everyone else is pessimistic, the 100%. opposite is also true, by the way. Yeah. You yeah, want to yeah. be pessimistic when right. everyone's overly exuberant and optimistic. Right. What's your take on this? Yeah, I think, I think this is the, a sentiment that is shared by many people. Uh, Chris Berniski recently, like, like formally flipped as in he's saying that he called the bottom, uh, Eric wall who has had Barrick wall as his Twitter handle for like a, over a year now has now become Bullock wall. I know it's a meme, but these are veterans that have seen these cycles before. And many people are saying like, yeah, just like this feels right. And we can do a bunch of like real technical analysis on charts. You can look at like minor capitulation. You can like try and look at numbers. But I mean, at some point, gut feel by veterans is just as valid as a sentiment uh, indicator as many, many others. Veteran holders in, Veteran in particular yeah. who have been through multiple cycles. Those are the ones I pay attention to. Right. Yeah. And so, Ryan, you're like, oh, I, I totally could see just like the doldrum, the what'd you call it last week? Like the apathy bottom where mm. we spend a year of going flat and then people yeah. just check out because it has because crypto prices hasn't gone up and then you get the last capitulation to wash people out we kind of had that throughout uh, the last bear market so we had like there was a 20 the the 18 the 2018 bottom at 82 dollars was like the capitulation bottom which to me feels like the 875 ether bottom that happened last may yeah um uh, we had a we had a recent bottom at like a one thousand one hundred dollars ish, maybe a little bit lower. And then in twenty, uh, so fast forward out of the twenty eighteen bottom at eighty two dollars into twenty nineteen, there was like another bottom at like one hundred twenty dollars when it got down that low. Mm. And then there was the March twenty twenty COVID crash back down to eighty dollars. Briefly, I think I think without that COVID crash we would have had higher lows throughout the entire crab market. So $80 in 2018, $120 in in, uh, 2019, I don't know, 150 to $200 in 2020. But then we had the COVID crash and it took us down to 80 again. So like, that's why I'm like, David, don't call the bottom. Don't call the bottom. Don't say Ryan's wrong. But also I really, really want to because you you, like, you could be right. It's just just to me, we're in the bottom range. We're in the bottom zone. You know, like Mm -hmm. what I would call for in kind of apathy layers, like, from ETH, something like 40% off where we are now, like that mm-hmm. could happen. But mm-hmm. like, I'm not one of those people were calling a few months ago for like 
$100 ETH, right? No way. <laughs> we ain't going there. All right, we're too bottomy to to hang out there. And so I could see things like this happen. Plus, by the way, David, is like you mentioned the COVID crash. Yeah, it's kind of those black black swan events that could pop up at any point in time and take us back down. But I'm in the bottom zone too. On the horizon, sure. Yeah. I don't want to call an exact bottom because I'll always be wrong, and I'm, I'd rather let you uh, you be wrong in this podcast with uh, with uh, with strict bottom calls, David. But uh, I'm I'm willing to certainly call we're in the bottom zone. It does feel mm-hmm. like this. I think the vets are right. All right, let's juxtapose the bottom signals because we have all time high in layer two land. What are we looking at here, David? Yeah, so this is a pretty awesome chart of the amount of weekly gas that layer one Ethereum block space that is being consumed by layer twos. And that chart is so awesome. Uh, so it's basically, if you go all the way back to January 2020, it's basically at zero. Uh, and it is just a hockey stick uh, up and to the right to where we are in November. And November was a killer month for layer two gas, uh, gas consumption. It seemingly almost doubled previous months. Uh, of time. So what what does that mean? That just means act- activity on the Ethereum layer 2 ecosystem is uh, like huge at all-time highs in a very big way. This is a long-standing bankless thesis that is playing yes. out. Yes. Um and it's taken a little longer maybe than mm-hmm. some thoughts play out, but it's totally playing out. Like directionally it's been correct and it seems to be more correct. This is a stat for Arbitrum. What are we looking at here, David? Yeah, I want to highlight two specific layer two ecosystems. One is Arbitrum, which is at all time highs of unique contracts deployed. So contract addresses, smart contracts that are deployed to Arbitrum had an all time high apps. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then also daily transactions, this, uh, which is the next tweet. Uh, daily transactions on Arbitrum are also at all time high. Here's hot protocol. Uh, so Hop bridged $158 million in the month of November, which is up from $98 million the month before. Wow. 100,000 unique wallets, Ryan, this is bridged so great. using Hop. Look, yeah. layer twos can be the new um, centralized exchanges at some level. What yeah. I mean by this is like people, we saw these stats last week. People are moving their funds mm-hmm. from centralized exchanges and they're going bankless. 100%. And you could keep the, the, that on mainnet or you could go to Layer 2s. I'm glad to see mm-hmm. people uh, exploring the Layer 2 universe. What about Here's this an one? app on Layer 2. This is, I believe, on Arbitrum. Yeah, uh, GMX, of course. Uh, uh, heavy DeFi power users will be familiar with uh, GMX. Uh, had more daily fees than Uniswap. What? A Layer 2 application generated more daily fees than Uniswap on the Layer 1. That's insane, dude. This bears looking into... Yeah, I think we should do a get an analyst piece on this. Yeah, uh, on bankless. I mean, we've we've had an analyst piece. We uh, Ben from the Bankless Analyst. If you pay attention to the Bankless Newsletter, you've known about GMX months ago when we covered it. Are you talking about me? I remember this. No, I'm talking about GMX. you, the listener. Oh, <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I thought you were calling me out for not reading our newsletter. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, wait till you see uh, my Spotify rap scores. Mm-hmm. Bankless is not number one podcast. <laughs> That's just because I, I listen to Apple, right? Yeah, right, right. Um, what are, What are we looking at here? Oh, uh, I think you've got some uh, some tea. I got some tea. I got some of... alpha. Yeah. Okay. Alpha in a bad way, though. It's like for coming from the rumor yeah. mill or sources. Yeah. So, you know, those tweets that people on Twitter make fun of when they say, here's a big claim, sources. And yes. then like the sources, this is that. Uh, so a oh, source. you're doing that. I'm doing that. Yeah. Okay. A, a source has. Uh, so this is a tweet uh, that says, is there a leaderboard for best performing VCs? Multicoin won 2021, right? Like they were the best performer in 2021. What about 2022? Um, and I was just looking. I just wanted some data because I was curious. So a little bird. Came into my data mentions. on multi coin. 
on VC, best performing VC funds in 2021 and 2022. Uh, And so a bird came into my ear and whispered Mm. to me the, Mm. the state of multi-coin multi-coins fund one fund two and hedge fund spill Uh, it so after uh ftx they lost money in ftx after like the solana uh all the other like all layer ones that they've invested to didn't have great price action through 2022 fund one is at a one x multi-coins fund one is just a one x is just a one x yes uh fund number two is at 0.4 x Wow. So what does that mean? They're down 60%. Um, Allegedly, the hedge fund is also below watermark. Um, And when when everyone was like, oh my God, Multicoin has made so much money. Apparently, Multicoin, when they report the value of the fund, they mark to market their tokens, which is a big no-no, apparently, in the VC space. You just take the CoinGecko price, you multiply yes. that by the amount of tokens, but there's not the liquidity to actually sell it. There's not the liquidity to stack. back it up. Yes. Also, like there's vesting schedules. So like various funds mark to market their tokens with a discount, sometimes heavy discounts, like over 50%. Apparently, Multicoin was just like mark to marketing the full value of their tokens without taking in any illiquidity. And where I mean, you could uh, assume used that to uh, you know flex it's like, look how much money we made, even though like there's not enough liquidity there to support it. Yikes! So it's, for, first, I will say, of course, this is this is sources. This is sources. Quotes. Sources. All right. So this is uh, you know has not been confirmed. Remember, David, nope. nor David nor myself. Uh, we are not sources. LPs in, in multi-coin. We're also not journalists. <laughs> um, so we haven't done the due diligence. But like, I could see this being true. What's interesting is um, 2021 was just a absolutely breakout year for multi-coin. I remember um, even Brian Selkis. Uh, last year, I think uh, Multicoin Kasamani was on his like top people who've turned things around list. Multicoin in in 2018 was uh, sort of on the on the shit list, really, for the EOS and you know mm. kind of getting fully behind that and for that kind of tanking, never recovering. And then they kind of had a redemption story in 2021. It looks like 2022 has fully reversed all of that, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what the the numbers are. Um, I think that is that is true. Some of these alternative layer one liquid investments have not paid off and this is not just multi-coin by the way i think there's a a class of um hedge funds that that have been playing in this uh in this space as well i'm willing to bet multi-coin got the brunt of it because they were the fund that like exemplified the alt layer one trade also i would say like when i when i was talking to the person that uh gave me this this information like my response to them was like it's crazy how strong the rule of fast up equals fast down played out in yeah. crypto. FTX rose out of nowhere and became massive and then disappeared in the blink of an eye. Same thing with, like, if you made money too quickly, it went away. Ultimately, when the bear market turned. Easy up, easy down. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to see kind of a jerk tweet? It's a little bit of a jerk tweet, but I think it exemplifies it. Uh-huh. Um, so, fun fact, last year, December 31st, 2021, um, I tweeted this out and this is like alt. alt this was the top mania. of alt layer ones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I tweet out, I think alt layer ones are largely overvalued. And I was largely thinking of David um, Luna. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking of Avalanche AVAX. Yeah. I was so thinking of uh, Solana, just that they're overvalued based right. on their fundamentals. And then I, right. I said, what's your best argument for why I'm wrong? A lot of people gave fantastic responses. Kyle comes in hot. From Multicoin, and he's like, "Let's bet on the Soul ETH price end of year 2021 versus end of year 2022." So that would be now. Uh-huh. Want to check on that price for me? <laughs> oh no! Right? 
what is it? It is. It started at that moment. Is the is the this time frame that you're showing on screen? Is that the time frame? Of yeah, the we bet? are down. Uh, okay, so we started 5%. at so one soul used to be worth 0.046 ether. Yeah. This is like the Bitcoin Ether ratio that we talked about at the beginning of the markets, but now we're talk- doing it for Seoul. And now it's at 0.012. So that is a down of 0.046 divided by 0.012, uh, almost four. I'll just Lo- a, loss, a loss of, yeah. So ETH is up 4x versus Solana in that time. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, we also didn't actually make a bet. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah, I, you, you wouldn't make a bet. Yeah. You know I wouldn't make a bet. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but yeah, that's how confident people were i think and mm-hmm. look i'm not picking on kyle multi-coin but i think the alternative layer ones had a crazy explosive year in 2021 and it's basically mm-hmm. rewound all of that and gone backwards um uh, congrats to those who sold that trip <laughs> sold the top <laughs> i think kyle did i think he's doing just fine yeah it's personal funds um, not, the, right. not the fun apparently what are we talking about next what's coming up next sorry kyle uh coming up next we judge sbf's ability to spin a narrative at the New York Times Dealbook Summit. We'll judge it mm. out of 10. How well did SPF spin a narrative? Uh, we'll also share some reactions from Twitter. Uh, and we'll also talk about the Infura debacle. Is Infura selling your data? Or is the internet selling your data and the Infura uh, system is just a part of it? We'll unpack all of that and more right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors to help you go bankless. David, I think people listening are like, when are these guys going to stop talking about FTX? And I really want to. I would love to. I want to stop talking about SBF. I want to stop thinking about him. But he keeps coming back and hunt. Like, I was trying to like do something else last night, and then he pops on for a one-hour mm-hmm. interview uh, with the New York Times that was broadcast by CNBC. It was absolutely insane. I couldn't look away. Like. We're trying to we're trying to figure out the psychology of this guy. Mm-hmm. So, um, give us the context mm-hmm. here. What's this tweet from DC, and how should we start dissecting the interviews SBF has been doing over the last two days? Yeah, so this is a tweet from DC, which is just giving his take on the on the the summit itself, the Dealbook Summit, and the interview. And DC goes, "I'm only 30 minutes in, but I want to thank Andrew Sorkin for not making this a puff interview, as we have seen from the New York Times in recent days. I was extremely skeptical up front, but yes, hard hitting questions collected uh, collected from the community. FBS harmed. Good job. So this is one take about the the Andrew Sorkin uh, SBF interview. This sentiment was not shared by everyone. Uh, Ryan, you said that it was insane. Do you, what, what part of the uh, summit do you think was insane? Like the whole thing, the questions, what did okay, you think? So I just caught, I think probably the last maybe 45 minutes. I think it was a fully an hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, giving people context, that it's called the Dealbook Summit, right? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Dealbook. Um, Broadcast on uh, CNBC, I believe. New York Times kind of, I, I believe, put this together. Mm-hmm. Professional uh, interviewer, Andrew Sorkin, and was not a puff interview. Mm. I mean, like, so Andrew was asking SBF questions like, um, what do your parents think of this? They're lawyers, law professors. How did they react when you told mm. them? Mm-hmm. He was asking questions about, tell me about the drugs, Sam. <laughs> yeah. He was saying, like, <laughs> where did all a the money go? Like, sleepover. This was, yes, that, that, um, he, at one point he said, uh, it looked like a whole bunch of, you know, riddling kids uh-huh. just in a drug filled sleep over right. playing with people's money. Right. And this uh, is not wrong. And it was a great interview, yeah. honestly, from the interview. Okay. So, so you're giving a thumbs up to the interviewer. Yes. Okay. Where the, the weirdness comes in for me is Sam Bankman Fried. I don't know how many times he said, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I was irresponsible. Right. He looked like a, a kid brought into the principal's office. Uh-huh. 
Um, actually, let me. Pull that was the up. pose that he took too. Just imagine a kid like swinging his his legs in a chair, with like his shoulders hunched up, like looking down at his feet. Exactly. That was that was the posture. That was everything. Actually, let me uh, let me pull up some of my my uh, tweets. I was I said this conversation's insane, and then he was just sharing everything. Yeah. I remember that was the it's like it's like TMI, man. Like you don't have to do this, right? Aren't your legal uh, experts telling you to stop? And then it just started feeling like a full confession. Right. He was he was saying everything. It was all out there. He was t- he talked about. So he answered Andrew's question about what drugs uh, he was using, mm-hmm. um, and then there was this one question Andrew asked him. Uh, so what did we learn from this, Sam? What's your future, Sam? And then SBF's re- reply was, I don't know what's going to happen. A lot is not in my hands. I want to be helpful. I don't know where this all will lead. It felt to me, David, like this was, it was like a child speaking. It was very childish. I mean, this guy stole $16 billion. Right. What does he mean he doesn't know what's going to happen? Like, he's going to jail, right? And that's what should be happening. Right. The whole thing struck me as very almost like infantile, like, yeah. like Andrew speaking to a child yeah. coming to the principal's office. Well, that's what he said. It was like a, it was a sleep, called it a sleepover. You and your FTS yeah. leadership were having a good sleepover for, you know, months. And there was like, yeah, you and, know, and, theft it, and it drugs It was just like these kind of like golly gee type responses. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean for this to happen. I don't know what's going to happen next. Dude, you stole $16 billion. Well, okay. But he, so you said that this was like a confession by SBF. That's not yes. what I saw. I saw, what did you see? and so, okay, so if I'm going to rate the Andrew interviewer, I'm going to give him um, seven to eight out of 10, uh, where he did not, uh, he approached the right subjects uh, and he did press. He did not, he was not informed enough or, or chose to ignore things that he should have doubled down on. Uh, and in my, if I was going to like, as a, as a, somebody who like, you know, organizes interviews and does a lot of interviews, it felt like Andrew was like, okay, here's like six or seven topics. I have an hour. I need to ask two or three questions about each topic to hit all the topics. And then we're done with the interview. That's great. Forgetting that like two or three questions might actually lead to more. And you need to press Sam when you are at the end of their questions, if he has not answered the question. So he like Sam answered the question to the ability that Sam wanted to. And then, yeah. and, and then Andrew was like, okay, we're, so we're done with he that. He let him get away with he things. Let, we, he, uh, he did not press him in the way that I would have pressed him. So yeah. very importantly, he, no one coming out of that interview would be like, oh, Sam stole money. Like that was not an impression well, that, that you might have been left did- with. David, do you see the audience reaction? Like people, people were, were clapping laughing. for him. Like Sam Bankman freed everybody. Clapping, la- um, so yeah, at one point in time, uh, Sam was like, uh, "I'm not gonna lie, it's been a bad month." <laughs> and people laughed. There's like yeah. this this pause, and there's like laughter throughout the uh-huh. audience. I mean, I, it, it I don't is know. Kind of funny. Look, some of this is is just human empathy type of reaction. Like, yeah, like uh, so. So I get that, mm-hmm. but mm, I think I think. It's also very hard in these interviews because I think um, you're, you're trying to understand the person. And so there has to be some level of like empathy right. in order to get right. into the person's mind. And yet you have to hold them accountable. I don't know. I, I guess my expectations for Andrew and mainstream media interview going in were so low yeah. that I right. would even rank uh, Andrew higher than like uh, seven or eight. But like we're probably largely in agreement on that. Okay. What about the, the Sam piece? How would you rate that? You said you did, it didn't feel like a confession to you. What did right. it feel like to you? I think I want to get to the answer, but Ryan, but I want to go through some of the tweets of this specific uh, interview, and then we'll eventually lead into that and lead into that answer. 
Uh, and so this is uh, this is the very start of the of uh, of the summit where uh, Andrew Sorkin uh, Sorkin is applauding Sam for even showing up and giving the interview, and then the crowd starts clapping, and then Andrew's like, "Sam Bakeman uh, freed everyone," wow. and everyone's like clapping for his bravery of even showing up in this particular yeah, moment. Yeah, these are some hearty claps. Yeah, too, they were. Yeah, in the audience right. I'm seeing. Yeah, uh, and so like that's okay. how the, this whole thing started. Uh, moving yeah. on, <laughs> this one dude though, do you see this one dude? He's like crossing his arms. <laughs> that's me. <Yeah>. <laughs> So Andrew leads this interview with uh, an email that was sent to Sorkin uh, from a customer who had apparently his life savings inside of FTX. And this, wow. this customer said, can you please ask SBF why he decided to seal my life savings? And SBF replies to this man and he goes, yeah, I'm deeply sorry about what happened. <laughs> and like, because what else can you say? <laughs> I'm deeply sorry about what happened. Yeah. Okay. So next part that I wanted to bring up, uh, I did not knowingly commingle funds. So so this is like one of the first moments that SBF was pressured. Uh, Mm. and, uh, this was when he was asked about like, okay, did you know that, that, uh, FTX was sending funds over to Alameda? And Sam was like, I did not knowingly commingle funds. This is a straight lie though. This is, this this is a straight lie. Yes. Straight out lie. Yes. And so when asked about like where'd all the money go, uh, Sam starts with US FTX, which he says to his knowledge is fully solvent. And then he turns to the international platform. And when he talks about the solvency of the international platform and where all that money went, he talk he starts to talk about leverage and how margin systems work. And Ryan, yeah. this is in my opinion, the point to focus on. A complete dodge. Where is all of the money? And Sam goes to explain to you margin trading and <laughs> leverage and how what, what that is implied, and we'll get to this again throughout, throughout this conversation, is that instead of Sam taking FTX customer deposits and giving them to Alameda, he's saying that Alameda took out such a large margin position on FTX that it wiped out the entire exchange. So instead of an explicit transfer of value from customer deposits to Alameda, there is an implied and implicit transfer of value through Alameda's margin position, which he claimed that he had no oversight over Alameda and he should, and he apologized for not having over any oversight of Alameda, but he was unaware of the massive size of Alameda's leverage position on FTX. And because that it was of the way that margin systems work, and this is why he's explaining how margin systems work and leverage, that it was an implicit transfer of funds from customer deposits to Alameda. But then the interviewer asked, like, okay, but you're not allowed to do that with customer deposits unless the, uh, because of the terms of service of FTX. And then Sam goes, well, that's one part of the terms of service, but another part of the terms of service says, like, we'll give you yield if you do let us do it. And then he just dodges it. And this is the moment that Andrew Sorkin did not press him on that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So, so Sam's like, I didn't actually steal the money. Right. What he actually did was, like, I gave it to a friend... No, I, I, let, I let the mechanism of margin trading allow an implicit transfer of value from anyone who is trading against Alameda to Alameda. I mean, which is a lie the, because he also the, straight up sent FTX customer deposits to Alameda, <laughs> yes. which is the important well, thing to remember. There, there are other parts in this conversation, by the way. I don't know if they're, they're here, David, but like uh, where Andrew's asking him about the, the $300 million mm-hmm. of property mm-hmm. that he purchased in the, uh, in the Bahamas mm-hmm. um, and including like luxury apartments for his parents and this sort of thing. I mean, like he didn't have much to say on mm-hmm. that either. But uh, what are we looking at here? Yeah, so another question from Andrew says, uh, what are your lawyers telling you right now? Do they even want you to be here? And audience laughs. Uh, and Sam Bankman-Fried is like, no, they totally don't want me to come here. 
but uh, I have a duty to talk is an interesting what is the game here what is the game I, does this does this guy think he has like bulletproof armor like has he already purchased his get out of free jail card okay so do and, you like, just do no you think that uh this is an accidental slip up by sbf or do you think that this is a calculated move by him i mean i i would have thought that the golly shucks thing it felt very like accidental and the child getting uh called into the principal's office right if it feels very much like that it gives off that vibe but i think given sam's history Mm -hmm. of um, masking his appearance and being very cold and calculating about his publicity um i could definitely take the argument maybe i would lean to the argument that this is also part of his plan that this is also very much calculated and so this is also part of a an apology tour yeah and he's using this kind of childish right. i was too young right. got caught up in things i'm learning my lesson i'm sorry yeah um but that can't work right? no absolutely no because he again, stole 16 because he dollars. stole 16 billion dollars <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't care how old you are <laughs> uh so okay just a few more parts of this interview uh he was asked about where he got the money from all the political donations uh and sam bankman fried said profits his own personal profits from trades Okay, interesting. Um, we'll go on to the next one. Uh, and uh, when he asked about why he uh, made so many donations to media, he says, I wanted to support good journalism. Okay, <laughs> good okay. Journalism. Thank, thank you for supporting me? good journalism, Sam. Okay. Uh, and basically the summary of what, what Sam Bankman-Fried said and what he is trying to get across, this whole like tour of interviews, and this is just the first interview, by the way, he is trying to say that he is sorry because he failed to manage risk. He did not steal $16 billion. He failed to manage risk. Not theft. I just, it was a mistake. I've, we just had poor risk management we processes. Had poor mis- in place. risk management. Yeah. Okay. okay. The, so, yeah. That was the this? first of, yeah. of two, right? The, mm-hmm. the, uh, the second interview, which I actually haven't listened to yet, David, was on Good Morning America this morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's doing the full apology right. tour in mainstream media. Uh, what's this? Not, not going on crypto, uh, crypto media, that, that's for sure. Uh, so this is a c- clip out of the Good Morning America interview, which we're going to play, uh, which I think sums up a little bit of everything. You ready to play it? Yeah. One yeah. of the reasons FTX went bankrupt is because FTX deposits yep. were used to pay Alameda's creditors. Carolyn Ellison said you knew about that. Is that true? You know, best I can tell... Uh, Alameda did have a big position open on FTX. Um, that position, uh, I think, was you know very over collateralized uh, a year ago. There is a, a total market collapse, and you know specifically large correlated collapse in its assets. You know over the last month, and to some extent over the last year, that I uh, you know threatened that position quite a bit. And I think that's you know as best I can stand a lot of what happened there. I, I am no cryptocurrency expert. I'm no finance expert, yep. but I don't think you answered my question. I always ask, yep. did you know that FTX deposits were used to pay off Alameda creditors? Uh, I don't know of FTX deposits being used to pay off Alameda creditors. Are you... I. Uh, which, which creditors are you referring to? Carolyn Ellison said that you all knew that these funds were used, were put into Alameda. They were the funds owned by your depositors. So 
I can't speak for who knew what. You know, a lot of the customers on FTX did have you know borrowers either you know in dollars or Bitcoin or, or euros. But as you know, the FTX terms of service yep. tell the people who signed up. None of the digital assets in your account are the property of, or shall be, or may be loaned to FTX trading. But you're saying that happened. My understanding is a few things happened. The first is there is a margin trading facility on FTX by which users can lend out funds, by which other users borrow funds. And so there are explicit cases where there is you know, margin extended, where there is borrow lending. If yep. Alameda is borrowing the money that belongs yep. to FTX depositors, that's a bright red line, isn't it? There are a lot of cases where that's actually explicitly part of the programs and that are but happening. But not, not here. Here already. it says that the digital assets may not be loaned to FTX trading. They can't be loaned out. Uh, there existed a borrow lending facility on FTX. And, and I think that's probably covered, I, I don't remember exactly where, but somewhere else in the terms of service. But they'd have to approve of that. They're saying they didn't approve of it here. They're so saying you approved of it. If you rewind to you know the beginning of FTX, um, where you know some customers were you know, uh, I think in line with sort of existing relationships that, that they've had, at least in some cases, wiring money straight to Alameda Research in order to trade on FTX. So you do know and you did know that FTX deposits were being funneled to Alameda? So I was vaguely aware that that was how some wires were being sent in the first place. Um, Didn't that set off alarm bells in your head? So there are a lot of people who are involved in that process. And look, I really deeply wish that I had taken like a lot more responsibility for understanding what the details were of what was going on there. I knew that legal was involved. I knew that other groups at the company were involved, that you know, there were agreements drafted up. But you're ultimately responsible. I and mean, ultimately, absolutely. Like I, Look, I should have been on top of this, and I feel really, really bad and regretful that I wasn't. And a lot of people got hurt, and that, that's on me. Here's what Mark Cuban has to say about that. Yep. He said, if I were him, I'd be afraid of going to jail for a long time. At the end of the day, you know, it's not my call what happens, and uh, the world will judge me as it will. Are you worried about going to jail? There are a lot of things that are worrying me right now. Um, and, you know, as best as possible, I'm trying to focus on what I can do going forward to be helpful and, you know, let whatever, you know, regulatory and legal processes are happening play out as they will. I, I do want to move on, but just, just finally on yep. this. This is really a yes or no question. Yep. Carolyn Ellison says you knew that FTX funds were being funnel to Alameda. Did you know that? I knew that there is an open margin position there and that that involved... I know, but that's all what I'm borrow. asking. <laughs> if she's in court and you're in court and she's under oath and you're under yep. oath and you're asked, did you know that these funds were being funneled to Alameda, what is your answer? I did not know that there is any improper uh, use of customer funds. My God, David, that pause at the end, just this long pause. Remember when we had our interview with him and Eric Voorhees and, and Eric Voorhees asked him the Ave question and he had to repeat the question 
Yes. He has to think about what the hell to say. Okay, but um, so first of all, good job from these clips. I haven't watched the full interview, but mm-hmm. George Stephanopoulos does a good job mm-hmm. asking him the same question multiple times. Yes. And I think this is what yes. a good journalist does. Yeah. Um, but what is Sam thinking? Going, like... This is this has a different flavor than kind of the the childish kid in the in the principal's office. This has the the flavor of somebody who's, uh, I, I guess, on the stand, and there's a prosecutor asking questions, and uh, this person has no idea what the, what they're going to say. Like, has not prepared at all, has not rehearsed. Like, I can't. This is why it's also hard for me to believe that this is all. Um, it just feels so amateur hour, David. It's hard for me to believe mm-hmm. that this is all kind of contrived from this mastermind of of pr who knows how to get out of this like i I can't believe anybody sitting watching this would come away from this thinking yeah like sam's sam's innocent he didn't mean to it's just poor risk management gone gone wrong like this has to be just him failing uh on the apology tour this is just like an embarrassing moment isn't it you would hope so uh other people have tweeted out that they totally believe him which we will get there so we'll go to some of the reactions on Twitter to get people's reactions to, to this interview. Uh, Lefteris uh, tweets out, A man stole $10 billion. FTX just got interviewed and portrayed almost as a victim and got applause at the end, still free and fine. Aaron Schwartz, who downloaded academic journals to share with the world, got $1 million in fines and 35 years in prison. This will lead him to take his own life. Okay, so wow. Lefteris not taking any shit, saying that this, this interview <laughs> was a bunch of BS. Uh, Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman. Who is Bill Ackman? Bill Ackman is an American billionaire investor and a hedge fund manager, founder and CEO of Pershing, Pershing Square Capital Management. He tweets out, call me crazy, but I think SBF is telling the truth. And SBF replies on Twitter, I deeply appreciate that. I messed up. I'm going to do everything I can to make it right, even though I know I knew it might never be enough. Uh, to which I replied, WTF is going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't. I'm sorry your way out of this, can you? Mike Dudas, uh, who tweets out, call me crazy, but I think SBF is a pathological liar. Two contrasting points. Yeah, Bill those, Ackman, are, those are different. Yeah. Those yeah, says different. he's telling the truth. Mike Dudas says he's a pathological liar. What else we got? Mike Novogratz says it was delusional. Let's be really clear. Sam was delusional about what happened and his culpability in it. He needs to be prosecuted. He will spend time in jail. And it wasn't just Sam. You don't pull this off with one person. Really good point. I think we, we haven't emphasized that point enough. Other people also need to go to jail, <laughs> not just Sam. Uh, and then here is the point that I think really drives this home. This is from Nick Carter. Sam isn't behaving like a renegade who is ignoring the advice of his lawyers. He is behaving like he has a world-class crisis management firm and legal team constructing a very specific and deliberate public narrative. I really? think uh, that is my take as well. How? So Nix thinks that he's really playing 4D chess here. Yes. But it looks like he is just playing checkers. Yes. Just doing a poor job. That, and that, that is, that is, the rules. right. That is the take is like, he's actually playing 4D chess, but you, when you look at him and like, oh, this guy, he's like, he, he's sorry. But is that the point to up. garner the sympathy? I think so. But how does that work in a court of law where you have prosecutors and facts? I think they are working the court of public opinion. Why does that matter? That, well, that's it's not that's, running for a political office. I think I think it matters. I think it matters. We'll see how this pays off for him. Uh, what's this take from Balaji? This is Balaji saying jurisdiction isn't why SBF is getting kid gloves. 
Remember, the U.S. got a satellite state to throw Alexei Pertsev in jail without charges for protecting privacy, which happened in two days. So they'd lean on the Bahamas if they wanted to. They just don't want to. Uh, Here is, I think, Ryan, what could be the most egregious headline I have ever seen about this whole debacle out of Bloomberg. Sam Bankman-Fried fooled a lot of people, but not SE chair, uh, chairman Gary Gensler, whose warnings about <laughs> risk and lack of regulation were well-founded. Absolutely oh, wow. F off. It's coming out of Bloomberg, all right? Was this written by Gensler? <laughs> it's like <laughs> Gensler's pseudonym, Max Chafkin. Oh, my God. It can't, Incredible. Gary Gensler called FTX is the worst headline I've He was sitting in a room. He had meetings with FTX executives. I... It's infuriating, I, dude. I, that, that is the worst opinion. I don't, I don't know whether this is um, SBF's incompetence or if he really is playing 4D chess, but I know that Gary Gensler Did not was not shit. the one <laughs> that was to be listened to in this uh, fiasco. All right, so this is turning into a, a movie series already, a miniseries on Amazon. Directors are bringing the FTX story. I don't know if that'll bring any, any truth, uncover any more. Um, also, I think we have to get to kind of our, our second story. Well... SBF is hitting the new circuit, going on Good Morning America, giving these interviews. Uh, more of the contagion is being felt. Of course, we know BlockFi was in a bad state when it paused withdrawals after the collapse of FTX. They have now announced and filed papers for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. What this means, David, is if you have funds in BlockFi, unfortunately, uh, you're not likely to get them out anytime soon. You'll have to go through the legal process It'll be sort of a, a Celsius style of thing. Um, and this is a shame. I mean, we were just talking to um, Sagar and Jetty from Breaking Points mm-hmm. podcast. By the way, that episode's coming out on Monday. He Great had episode. funds in BlockFi. Yeah. Right? This is sort of someone who's crypto adjacent, um, but supportive of the industry. Mm-hmm. And he had some funds in BlockFi and was affected by this. A lot of people affected by this. You know what's crazy here, too, David, is um, the, if you recall, of course, BlockFi. Um, had gotten in dire straits during yep. Thrio's capital and the terror yep. collapse. Yep. Then FTX came, bailed them out. This was their lifeline. David, do Good you know guy what that, Sam comes again. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what that that bailout was based on? The FTX bailout. What do you mean based on? Okay, it was like collateralized by Robinhood shares. Right. So the this BlockFi is, this is, bailout was collateralized by Robinhood shares. Walk me through what that means. This, I think, this tweet walks you through it. BlockFi is a creditor to FTX that lent to Alameda that led to Emergent, which is a shell company owned by SBF that bought Robinhood shares that were pledged as collateral to a guarantee to BlockFi to loan to FTX that was used to bail out BlockFi itself. I don't understand. (laughs) Exactly. I don't understand what just happened. BlockFi is a creditor to FTX. Yeah. Okay, so BlockFi is a creditor to FTX. FTX borrowed from BlockFi. And then FTX lent that money to Alameda. Alameda lent that money to... BlockFi. So BlockFi borrowed from FTX, mm-hmm. who lent to Alameda, that lent to this shell company called Emergent. Okay. That was actually owned by SBF. Okay, so Emergent a shell is a shell actually, company by SBF, mm-hmm. which is the shell company bought, that bought Robinhood shares. This, this Emergent company bought Robinhood shares that were pledged as collateral to guarantee BlockFi the loan to FDX that was used to bail out BlockFi itself. Wait, okay. Pledged Robin as Hood collateral. Is the collateral. Yes. Pledged as collateral to BlockFi. To, to guarantee to BlockFi the loan to FTX. Wait, who so got BlockFi the loan? So BlockFi got bailed out by 
BlockFi. BlockFi gave was, the loan to FTX and FTX used that loan money to bail out BlockFi and that loan was collateralized by Robinhood shares. Yes, that were Which owned by owned. a shell company. <laughs> yes, which that was got that SPF. money from Alameda Research. Which got that money from FTX. What the <laughs> shit is this, dude? Uh, what? Look, if you don't laugh, you cry. And that's what BlockFi's bailout was based on that's what depositors the hope of depositors was based on since uh may june of this year do you think if you can just create a fucking mesh network of interconnected money to the point where the, all the money disappears because it's out of a uh, smoke of confusion you can just mint more money that way i don't know <laughs> I David. what, what do you happened? think <laughs> <laughs> i mean absolutely and look this is uh this is heartbreaking for a lot of people who are in BlockFi, BlockFi depositors. I mean, we're really learning some tough lessons in this chapter of uh of of crypto for sure. But I, the this fact tweet that this is, is insane. I'm gonna, I want to read this tweet again. BlockFi is a creditor to FTX that lent to Alameda that lent to Emergent, which is a shell company owned by SBF that bought Robinhood shares, which were pledged as collateral to guarantee the BlockFi loan to FTX that was used to bail out BlockFi itself. What the. Okay, so this is the pattern that we saw throughout <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried and throughout FTX Empire. We also yeah. saw the same pattern with Three Rose Capital, maxing out lines of credit, using Max anything the credit at, as collateral as possible, yep. borrow yep. everything that you can, create as much like interdependent connections as possible, uh, and then like the, you create a super fragile system, and if then like CZ down, tweets, you, and then the, the thing falls apart. Yeah. Put it in the pawn, pawn everything. Everything's pawned. Any collateral we have, Robinhood shares, the collateral that backs that the uh, to buy BlockFi. Can you believe this? And remember, <laughs> remember what the, I said was the whole summary of what SBF was saying. We forgot to manage risk. No, you <laughs> did. Yeah, you what? forgot a lot. That was of the only you thing you did. You maxed out your credit card. You maxed out your risk, bro. You set your house on fire. <laughs> you stole from everyone in your neighborhood. I don't know, man. You did a lot more than just uh, not manage risk. All right. <laughs> That's FTX. All right. This week. Um, okay. Maybe things get quieter from here. I don't know what Sam's next move is going to be. Um, I'm kind of curious. Jail. Though. It's jail. It's got to be, be jail. We did an episode on this uh, earlier in the week. If you guys want to catch that on the question we post was why is Sam Bankman-Free not in jail? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we got a satisfying answer at the end of that. episode. We did get an theories. answer. We just weren't happy about it. The answer <laughs> is that he paid uh, the Democrats and the Republicans and the New York Times and all these journalists and all these nonprofits. And now no one wants him to go to jail because if he goes to jail, they'll have to give back all of that money as clawbacks. That's the answer as to why David, he's not in jail. My hope is that it's just too soon that the justice that's system okay ryan that's what i was thinking soon. until but i then saw why is he doing this with the interview tour yes i was thinking yeah. okay it's just too soon like Doesn't people get confused by crypto they're waiting for the dust to settle we'll charge him he'll go to jail now with this speaking tour i have capitulated it's like oh he might get away with this like it he's talking as if he's got some sort of bulletproof armor some yeah. sort of shield over him like he's right. got the master and, and get out some of field, people are letting jail, him do that okay we'll see how this uh emerges I, I i for one would be happy not to have to think about him for uh at least a at least a day don't hold that. your breath um all right let's talk about the metamask privacy stuff <laughs> okay. what is yep. going on in this world 
that was an issue last week as well. Tell us. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to speed run through this. So, uh, Infura and MetaMask, uh, got into a bunch of public heat on Twitter because, uh, it was reported that MetaMask was, a re- uh, reporting users, IP addresses and mapping them to, uh, their Ethereum wallets, uh, which, and the reason why it was MetaMask was it's because actually it's Infura because when you make a transaction through MetaMask, it routes it through an Infura node and Infura have broadcast. To, but that's the Doesn't default. have to, but that's the default. Uh, and then people, okay, well, Infura is the one that's mapping IP addresses to uh, MetaMask users. What the hell? Why are you guys doing this? Uh, and then both Joseph Lubin, uh, Joseph Lubin puts out a tweet thread uh, providing a bunch of clarity on this. Uh, but I actually felt that it was Dan Finley's tweets, uh, tweet threads that were uh, the, the most helpful. Uh, so if you want to get a, a long form answer, which we don't have time for, there is Joe Lubin's tweet thread, 21 tweets that explains it. Um, and basically the TLDR of this is that no, Infura is actually doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, which is the minimum amount of user data retention possible. The only reason why Infura and MetaMask are taking flack for this is that they are also the most transparent about what's going on. To say this more simply, it's not Infura that's capturing user data. The internet is just this place that captures user data. There's just like, we're, we leak data all over the time, all over the place. This is what David Traum was talking about, uh, which is why he made, uh, which is why he made this whole thing called traffic analysis. Traffic analysis can map your IP address to your Ethereum wallet. It's not a result of Infura. It's just the fact that Infura is a part of the internet. Uh, and, and then I am uh, currently, I am regurgitating and restating what Dan Finley says who, Dan Finley, is one of my personal heroes in this space, so I trust him. So this is me bestowing trust upon Dan Finley. I think he's a great guy. Uh, I've done multiple podcasts with him, uh, and this is what he says, and I totally believe him. So maybe you just have to fact-check me, but I think that this is kind of a nothing burger. And I actually think, uh, again, to double down on the point, the reason why people are upset at MetaMask and Infura is because they are actually the ones that are the most transparent about what is going on. And so that, uh, that transparency allowed for this rage to be like surfaced. So this was, no. this was kind of spicy. So this was uh, my crypto wallet uh, tweeting out, which is a, which is a uh, MetaMask competitor, saying, angry that MetaMask is going to start collecting even more of your information, now your IP addresses. We have never and will never collect identifiable in, uh, information for our users. So use our wallet. And then Taylor Monahan, now MetaMask, uh, responds, except you do, you have, and you always, you will always, because there's no way not to, don't respect your users like that. You send every user's various on-chain addresses, IP addresses, info to Mu API, which is themselves, blockchain.info, Moonbeam Network, on and on. The only difference is that you blatantly lie about it. Ooh, spicy. And then Dan Finley, who uh, retweets this tweet, uh, if you want to hit the back button, Ryan says other wallets are opportunistically acting like this. Their centralized web infrastructure magically isn't. It is if they have any anti-denial of service layer and who can survive in crypto without one, they're storing data too. So I think the TLDR is like, this is the meta Infura's is not doing anything that isn't also done by anyone else. And it's also not their choice. Uh, my takeaway is just float around the internet using a VPN. Sure. And this is less of a problem for you. You have to protect these things at the base layer because assume yep. your data is leaking everywhere. If you want to get super uh, hardcore, use Tor. That's um, what we got to do right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, what do we got coming up next? Coming up next, we got some some really good stuff, some really, really good stuff, which I'm yeah. excited to talk about because that was All some right. bad stuff. Uh, <laughs> the Ethereum ecosystem scores some huge wins, which we're going to talk about. Uh, there's some solid NFT activity as well going around. Okay. And Bankless, that's us, Ryan, uh, acquires a company 
that helped put $150 million into people's wallets. Wow. Good for them. Good for them. We're going to talk about that and more right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors to make you more bankless. Guys, we have some exciting news. David alluded to it before the break, but uh, Bankless has just acquired a $150 million tool for wow. you, for the bankless community. We did? That, that doesn't mean we paid $150 million for this, <laughs> all right, David? Let's just be clear on that. This tool has created $150 million worth of value for bankless users, people that are on the bankless journey in DeFi, primarily through airdrops and other claimable activities. The tool is called Earnify. Hmm. You may have heard us talk about Earnify on the podcast before, I think in the form of uh, sponsorship. Mm-hmm. This is a tool we've used for a while, and uh, we liked it so much, we wanted to bring it into the bankless family and give it more exposure, give it more support, and scale it up. So a few reasons we did this. I can get into those. But give me your reactions first, David. Uh, <laughs> Why don't you tell me why we did this? <laughs> why did we do this? Well, uh, once upon a time, people might uh, be able to infer I'm a little bit of a disorganized individual. So I had like 10, 12, 15 active Ethereum wallets during airdrop season. Uh, and uh, without Earnify, I actually would have missed like three or four Uniswap airdrops. <laughs> so yeah, I remember this. Yeah. So this is how the story started. So I was using uh, Earnify to plug in all of my addresses that I didn't want to have to load up through MetaMask, uh, restore old private keys. I just had like an Excel sheet of my Ethereum addresses. And one by one, I plopped them into Earnify. And I found like tens of thousands of dollars that I had not previously claimed that I thought that I had totally claimed. (laughs) The couch cushions. Yeah, under the couch cushions. The uni drop specifically. specifically, Yeah, but some other ones as well. well. I also discovered that I had missed airdrops that had expired, sad face. Uh, and which it also let me know. Uh, and then it also let me know that I had uh, pudgy penguin, little penguins available to mint. So like the amount of money I got from this thing uh, was a lot. It was insane. Yeah, it was funny. I remember watching you do this and like uh, discovering the tool. This is like in April and mm-hmm. it was just like, this is your tweet. LMAO, just found another wallet with the Uniswap airdrop. That and is keep two me years, on Discord. two years yeah. after the Uniswap airdrop. <laughs> You were just hitting me with these, like, oh, found another 400 uh, uni. This is, like, worth thousands of dollars each yeah. each time, right? Yeah. Um, and so I really, at the time, talked to you, and I was like, who built this tool? It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I started using it, too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, all of these addresses that I've used, um, I have uh, airdrops, unearned airdrops, unclaimed mm-hmm. tokens that I, I can be. So I reached out to the Earnify account and said, uh, hey, Thanks for helping David find all of his tokens. Uh, you guys up for a conversation about how we can collaborate? I was just thinking, hey, we want to give them some more um, exposure on Bankless. Mm-hmm. And that's when we met the founder of Earnify. His name is Dawson. Dawson. Botsford. He is a Bankless listener mm-hmm. from way back, apparently. Uh, and uh, he's a hacker. Mm-hmm. He's a developer. Something that Some skills that David and I do not have. Um, turns out he has been hacking at hackathons uh, the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and uh, he's won a whole bunch of them that yeah. he's participated in. These are like crypto-centric, ETH-centric hackathons. He even has a podcast, David, yeah. specifically for DeFi builders. So we started talking to Dawson, uh, and we talked some more. He's got the original Bankless uh, t-shirt. Before we legit. were even talking to him, he was wearing Bankless stuff. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> anyway, um, talks went so well, we decided to bring Dawson on as a co-founder of this new entity we're calling Bankless Labs. Ba-ba-da-ba. And the purpose of Bankless Labs is to build tools, build equipment, all right? So if you think of Bankless Media, the thing that we're doing right now, the theme for us has been educated. <laughs> Educa- <laughs> <laughs> the theme has been education. Uh, and like our goal has been to 
bring crypto to a billion users. And we've done that through mm-hmm. podcasts, through newsletter, through all sorts of media uh, that we're embarking. And we're still going to do that. But it's not, the bankless journey doesn't end with education. It also stretches into equipment, tools. Mm-hmm. We want to educate and we want to equip. And in order to equip, we need to start building some of these tools for the bankless mm-hmm. journey. And Earnify, to me, David, is like a top recommended tool. Like yep. If you're starting a crypto journey, the thing you need to do is get on bankless, get on some other uh, great podcast education material. That's the education part, right? Then you need some tools. You need MetaMask. You need a Ledger wallet. Yeah. You also need to plug in your addresses in Earnify so you don't miss airdrop opportunities or other yeah. notification events that will yeah. happen on chain because these things will keep happening. Uh, and if you don't have this plugged in, you got to do all the work manually, and that's no fun. Mm-hmm. So um, we brought Dawson in. We brought Earnify in. We're giving it some more exposure. We're scaling it up. We're building up the roadmap. And uh, I could not be more excited to bring tools into the bankless journey as well. Uh, yeah, this is a, there's, there's a lot of potential here, which I mean, we'll, we'll refrain from turning this into a massive ad for Earnify, although <laughs> you should put your Ethereum address into Earnify because uh, it's, it's an email notification service. You put your address in, if a new airdrop, new event happens that you can claim, it will email you. So it's, the whole thing is that it saves you time. Um, go click my meme because I think my meme's really good. Oh, which one? Is the, this one yours? Yes, yeah, that one. Yeah. What is my yeah, purpose? So this is the my, Rick, what and is, Rick and Morty. What does my purpose mean? What is my purpose? You find me money. Like, <laughs> that's the pitch. <laughs> you find users money. You always have this weird relationship with robots, David, and I'm not always comfortable with. Okay, <laughs> they're not just built to serve you. All right, <laughs> they could be your friends too. This is my meme, by the way. That got forced to the bottom of the post. This little robot I friend, don't, bro. I don't know what that meme is. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Anyway, guys, uh, if you want to join the journey with us, go try out Earnify. Put some ETH addresses in. Uh, it's free. So you want to scale that up, cover more addresses, and get some of the premium airdrops. Um, so check that out. And we're releasing a whole bunch more in the coming weeks. Super excited to do that. Uh, David, some other stuff is getting released during this bear market. What is this from Casa? I would classify this as an Ethereum win, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Give us so some there, context here. There's three big wins that we're about to go through, which are infrastructure that has previously been specific to other ecosystems which are now opening the doors to ethereum so this is casa which is a key management system it's like uh, a multi-sig system on training wheels so think like gnosis but with humans uh, on the other end to you know kind of white glove your support there's different tiers that you can access there's of course free there's an iphone app Uh, there's like a a cheap 120 dollars a year one there's like a more expensive ones Uh, but is it various just like help to self-custody your assets in a highly secure way. So it's like white glove Fort Knox services. Anyways, Casa has always been uh, very highly regarded in the Bitcoin ecosystem as just really, really good product. And now Ethereum support is coming soon. So that's very exciting for the Ethereum world. Uh, This is a a company that's been around for a very long time, very reputable. Uh, People love it. Uh, And now we get all of their products and services for Ethereum, which is amazing. That's a big step for them. I know know, Jameson Lop has been a big Bitcoin advocate and Mm -hmm. pretty critical of Ethereum. And uh, he, I believe, is a co-founder behind this as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is just the first. So we're off to the second. Phantom Wallet out of Solana is now coming to Ethereum and Polygon. Uh, I remember like a lot of people when they say like, what do you, what do you like so much about Solana? They say like the transactions times and Phantom Wallet. Phantom Wallet is great. Well, Phantom Wallet's now also coming to Ethereum and Polygon at the same time. Uh, so that is now a new wallet in this side of the Ethereum ecosystem to add to the competition sphere, which is very much needed. And also Trader Joe 
out of Avalanche. Avalanche's biggest what? decks. Yeah, this is like the Uniswap of Avalanche is now deploying on Arbitrum. So you know, you know the whole idea, Ryan, that we had during the Alt Layer One summer that all all Alt Layer Ones will just become rollups on Ethereum. Yes, I remember this. That might not play out, but all Alt Layer One applications might instead deploy on Layer Ooh. Twos on Ethereum because that is what we are seeing here. Uh, so I'm sure Trader Joe on Avalanche is not going anywhere, but they are also definitely coming to Arbitrum. So congratulations to the Trader Joe team for making the break into the Ethereum ecosystem. Yeah. Okay. So on to new subjects. We were talking about Ethereum censorship in the last week, earlier or earlier this week. Uh, via what, what's it called? Flashbots open sourced their block building services, their block building software. So many more people can build blocks. And that has recently turned over the peak of OFAC compliant blocks that have been built. Even though 79% of, of Ethereum blocks have previously been OFAC compliant, that doesn't mean that Tornado Cash is censored. You can always still get a Tornado Cash uh, transaction into Ethereum. It, but if you're a United States student citizen, you go to jail. Um, anyways, uh, Flashbots open source their block building, and we have seen a downtrend in the percentage of OFAC compliant blocks. Cool. Uh, Hazu responds to this tweet. Uh, uh, this tweet, uh, which is uh, just a retweet of what we were just uh, showing, plus more neutral relayers coming online, which is an announcement out of Gnosis DAO and Ultrasound Money, uh, plus the adoption of minimum bid, plus existing relays accepting submissions from external builders, should make this chart look quite different over time. And this, Ryan summarizes why I've never really been concerned about this whole, like, Ethereum's totally censored. Like, it's all the amount of solutions that we had that were in the pipeline and in the near term as well, just, like, were massive. So I, I get so much fun about this. So like, much People fun. actually think that, that um, Ethereum is censoring completely. You can't get a uh, Tornado Cash transaction through on the Ethereum network, which is completely untrue. And I, I'm just, like... I just have stopped responding to these tweets because like yep. just let time play out yep. and um, you know, knowledge will diffuse. What's what's happening with Aave though? Are they pausing some markets in the DeFi side? Yeah, so I remember last week when we talked about the guy that uh, did a short position on Curve, yeah, left Aave with like $1.8 million of bad debt and then Gauntlet re- released that post recommending that Aave turn off uh, trading on or turn off uh, liquidity. Just pause some, them? Uh, yeah, just, yeah. Well, yeah, pause, turn them off. Temporarily freezing the following markets. So, a bunch of tokens uh, are no longer acceptable collateral on Aave. Uh, YFI, CRV, ZRX, uh, Mana, One Inch, Bat, Ample, Rye, uh, LUSD, uh, Staked Sushi, DPI, Maker, MKR. Actually, some pretty big. Why are all these of, things frozen? They're Why? just not liquid enough. Uh, we're at the bottom. When you are at the bottom of a bear market, uh, you are also at all time lows in liquidity. It's as, just a as risk well. parameter that a risk governance parameter. tweaks yeah. up and down. So they're yeah. freezing it now. And I'm sure um, they'll turn them back on as they become more adopted, more liquid, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, remind people that's designed in the protocol it is, um, supposed to function that way. Yep. And I'm um, glad governance is, uh, being proactive about that. Uh, David, let's talk about NFT stuff, some collectibles. Mm-hmm. Um, first, got to talk about the bankless collectible. God, so, we are just um, uh, shipping some cool stuff, man. Our second collectible is coming out tomorrow. The first was the, the SBF versus Voorhees debate. David, do you want to tease what the newest co- bankless collectible is? Which uh, pro- which po- podcast Episode? is this? Uh, okay, yeah. so it is the uh, let me let me see. Well, I know you know the answer, so I'll, I'll just tease this for the listener. There are two foundational technologies. That kickstarted the Renaissance. Oh mm. fuck! That's in the title. <laughs> you broke it. 
It's a crypto renaissance episode. <laughs> Darius trying to say the printing press and double entry bookkeeping. I should have just said that. Wow. That, you, that could you, have been the riddle. Anyway, you know what it is. Josh Rosenthal, the episode. We are having a Twitter spaces with Josh Rosenthal. We're talking about the episode as we're releasing this collectible NFT. Uh, having that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's also a secondary market uh, where you could buy and sell bankless collectibles that uh, we've spun up too. That's kind of cool. Doing yeah. this uh, NFT podcast nft experiment uh it's going pretty well People first ever podcast nfts and this pretty will cool. be the second ever pretty cool we got two now yeah. um david speaking of nfts cock punch cock punch <laughs> my favorite nft <laughs> well there's a date for this december 7th now we had the podcast with tim ferris earlier this week mm-hmm. and uh this is what uh brewster looks like a cock is that if, what you thought that they look like Ryan? Cock punch looks like um ish ish yeah, about, it's more 3d right. than i thought but yeah, yeah that's about it yeah that's um right. yeah so that's cool uh, uh so that that, that mint is happening in seven days seven, seven days, days now uh all right open c says nft creators earned one billion in royalties that's pretty big man that's, that's a pretty big economy yeah. for the creators and that yeah. was uh over the last year one billion in royalties that's just royalties god nft people got it so easy remember how long it took <laughs> us to get one billion dollars locked in DeFi? it took us like two years dude yeah, but nft people are feeling pretty down bad even worse than DeFi. i think maybe well, not i don't it's know we're, equal. we're both pretty wrecked <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. Pudgy Penguins, what are they doing this week? Yeah, so Pudgy Penguins had a sale in Sotheby's, which sell, sold out. Uh, so 10 Pudgy Penguins got sold in the Sotheby's auction for something like $129,000, including the Pudgy Penguin that uh, is Cole's. Cole, the founder, creator of Pudgy Penguin, his NFT, his Pudgy Penguin, his famous one, sold, along Did with a bunch of project? other rares. Uh, no, I don't think, I don't about that. I don't don't test my NFT knowledge. Uh, Uh, I'm not with the penguins. I'm not up on it, but telegram. I do remember this telegram had a whole network, uh, Mm -hmm. a smart contract network that they were Mm -hmm. launching called the telegram network. I believe it's ton was telegram open network or something like that. They raised like a billion dollars for this. This is back from my, uh, circa 2018, 2017, 2018 days. I remember this being, wasn't quite an ICO, but it was like a, it's definitely an ICO. It was definitely an ICO. Okay. It was an ICO. Okay. It was an ICO. It's part of the token mania. Anyway, Telegram back doing some crypto stuff. Uh, their founder, uh, CEO Durov, is that how you say his name? I have no idea. No idea. Okay. Uh, he is saying that they are building crypto wallets and it's centralized exchange to prevent things like FTX from happening again. What is this, David? Is this just another, like, I don't know, pump kind of thing? I, I mean, nothing really came of the, the the Telegram open network back in 2018. Is this more of the same? So I th- so when I read this article, uh, and the, the details are more than just the headline, uh, when I read this article, I was like, damn, what year is it? Uh, turns <laughs> out that Telegram sold $50 million in usernames using its own chain-based auction platform fragment. So apparently the Ton blockchain is up and running. They're planning on putting a DEX on it and they're planning on allowing Telegram to be a wallet as well. And it's also, Ryan, but up not available to citizens in the United States. Wait, Sick. what? Yep. That's, but okay. I, that's annoying. I don't, I don't ask too many questions. I don't know, dude. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I mean, think of this as an app chain, I guess that is, um, yeah. uh, somewhat censored if you live in the U S. Um, cool. all right, let's talk about, uh, Fidelity. This it's is huge. actually huge news huge. that went under the radar, yeah. but Fidelity Crypto is a go. So remember, Fidelity is a $4.5 trillion firm, mm-hmm. asset management. They just launched trillion retail with a crypto T. trading. Yeah, trillion yeah. with a T. Retail crypto trading. This is Fidelity. And mm-hmm. they're doing it now 
when the rest of the world hates crypto. Right. Uh, why is this a big deal, David? Well, just because of that $4.5 trillion amount, but it's one of the big, big signs of just like the correct amount of adoption, the best kind of adoption that you could hope for. Fidelity. They've been pro crypto for a very long time, mostly pro Bitcoin, recently pro uh, Ethereum, but now they're also pro retail, which we love. Uh, so nice job, crypto. Uh, excuse me. Nice job, Fidelity Crypto. I've, I've really liked their strategy. It's kind of like the tortoise type strategy, but yeah. they're slow and steady and they do things very right. methodically, very yeah. carefully and very, um, not you know, very by the whims of the way. market. Yeah. But they're, but they're there. I mean, they're, they're an old institution that's been mm-hmm. at the forefront at some yeah. level and, and yeah. certainly leading their peers. Uh, really yeah. cool to see. Also Binance getting into the proof of reserve game a little bit more. What's this, David? Yeah. Binance released their proof of reserves. I asked Nick Carter, Hey, Nick Carter, who's like the king of proof of reserves. Yeah. Uh, can you give me a comment as to how good this system is? He told me that he is writing an article about it, but Binance is not the only proof of reserve system that got announced. Oh, by the way, the Binance proof of reserve systems uh, claims that they have 582,000 Bitcoin in reserve with only a uh, liability set of 575,000, giving Binance a margin of of over 6,000 Bitcoins. Cool. BitMEX produced a proof of liability system, meaning that if you are a user of BitMEX and you've deposited Bitcoin, you can get a cryptographic assurance that your deposit is accounted for in the overall liability of the system, which means that all you have to do is cross-reference how much liabilities they have, which how much Bitcoins they have. Um, so cool. I like this. Big I like this market on, pressure. This yes, is kind of like uh, centralized exchange are like, oh crap, we better put our proof of reserves right, uh, right. solution in place right now and proof right. of liabilities. Um, meanwhile, uh, centralized exchanges are also the ones that still with money anyway mm-hmm. are buying things. This is Binance launching a $1 billion raise for a crypto recovery fund to buy troubled assets. Maybe a lot of troubled assets. Mm-hmm. We get through this, uh, this bear market and this crypto winter and Binance wants to snap up a whole bunch of them, a billion dollars to dole out, it looks like. Well, yeah, so a bunch of startups, a bunch of funds, a bunch of, it's just everything, lost money in FTX, right? And so Binance says, hey, we've got a billion dollars. If you're in trouble, we'll strike a deal with you. Um, that's what that is. It's not just Binance. It's uh, Jump Cryptos in here, Polygon Ventures, Aptos mm-hmm. Labs. Interesting group of uh, collaborators. Yeah, everyone's, it's like a freeding frenzy of like, you know, fire sale stuff. Some sad news over at Kraken. They are laying off about 30% of their staff, about 1,100 people. Wow. That is a big staff uh, because of market conditions. Um, So that's a sad and unfortunate, Uh, but there's also some fantastic severance. So they're also paying 16 weeks of base pay, performance bonuses as determined by managers and also four months of healthcare benefits. So doing it responsibly. So that's the way it should be done. Imagine FTX employees right now. Yeah. They're not getting any of these things. They don't have any healthcare. Yeah. Uh, on the releases side, Uniswap just released a big NFT aggregator. No. So actually this got released a while ago. Now Uh, it's finally live. Uh, so we ah, actually did a state of the nation with Hayden forever ago about this. Uh, I guess it took longer to actually, were you talking about genie genie? Yeah. So they purchased uh, genie, right? Purchased genie. And now NFTs are live on Uniswap, the exchange. Uh, So you can trade NFTs across marketplaces. Also, if you are a historical Genie user, you are airdrop $5 million. I bet you, uh, you should probably put in your Ethereum address into Earnify to check that if you are or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Um, I think that that was a, <laughs> this is a great meme, dude. Okay. What's this meme? <laughs> this is the, uh, this is the Bane uh, versus, I don't know with the guy in the pink, who, what that is. Just <laughs> it's just like a face off between two entities who are doing the same pose and Bane's bear market. And this guy in like this pink spandex suit is like, yeah, but NFTs on Uniswap. 
<laughs> Not going to reverse the bear market. Sorry, guys. It's still pretty cool. Building through the bear. Stripe also enabled fiat to crypto and fiat to crypto on ramp. And Stripe is absolutely massive, just like an mm-hmm. API um, that powers so many things. Actually, powers um, the bankless uh, membership on mm-hmm. Substack as well. And so this is a big deal. Allows customers to buy crypto, um, convert directly from from crypto to fiat, and uh, make payments through through mm-hmm. Stripe. Yeah, we would have had uh, we had the conversations with the founder of Stripe to come on Bankless to talk about this, but then FTX happened, so we had to reschedule him. Sad. Yeah, <laughs> he'll be on soon. Um, yeah. Ledger doing debit cards. Reminder: Ledger is a sponsor of the Bankless podcast, uh, but we are talking about this because they have rolled out a Crypto Life debit card mm-hmm. across the UK and Europe. What is this thing going to be? Anyway, it pretty much explains itself. You got a debit card. It's got crypto in the back. As you swipe your debit card, you spend your crypto that is loaded up in your Ledger Crypto Life. You have, to, you have to move you have to load from it up, your yes. ledger wallet to this temporary place in order to kind of load, front yes. load your debit yes, card. Yes, you do. You do have That's to do that. Works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least you don't have to trust a bank, though. It's very important till the end stage. Well, speaking of Uniswap earlier, you know, they're still hiring, David. Yeah, because they need to hire NFT people now. <laughs> That's right. It's jobs time. All right, Bankless Jobs Board, bankless.palette.com. We've got a Uniswap Labs developer relations lead. We've got a Uniswap Labs senior front end engineer. We've got somebody from Rabbit Hole, business operations and strategy. Dottie Land, senior blockchain engineer. Diagram Ventures, MakerDAO needs some people. Oh, look, Earnify needs some people too. Oh, yes. weird. Bankless <laughs> we Labs do. is hiring. Full stack engineers and senior backend engineers. Check out all of those jobs at the Bankless job site, bankless.palette.com slash jobs. All right, David, what's coming up next, man? Coming up next, we've got questions from the nation. Just one this week. Also, some hot takes on crypto Twitter. And also, of course, what Ryan and I are bullish on. And I think one of the better memes of the week that we've had in a very long time. So all of this and more coming up right after we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors to help you go bankless. It's questions from the nation time. We've got one question this week. There are a whole bunch, but we had to pick one because we want to talk about something else. But uh, the question was from Time3Dash at Time3Dash on Twitter. Why did you change your name? This is a very funny name referring to Sam Bankman-Fried. And what the question is referring to is the Bankless Twitter account now, rather than saying Bankless, uh-huh. our Twitter account handle, it says Bankmanless. Right. Right? Bankmanless. A funny, it was like, a funny joke. Sam Bankman-Fried. We did that, I think, right. like the day all of this stuff weeks came ago. out. Weeks ago. It's been like this for weeks. So why did we change our name? Well, it's a, it's a funny joke. Yeah. So like Sam Bankman-Fried stole $10, $10 billion of user deposits. So we changed our Twitter name from Bankless to Bankmanless. I thought that was a funny name. Funny thing okay, to do. But how long will it be funny? Because it's still Bankmanless on yeah. Twitter, and I'm it, the joke's getting a little bit old. But I think we have a problem. Yeah, on our it's, hands. so we can't change it back. <laughs> Why? <laughs> is, is the I don't understand here. this. So <laughs> Elon took over, and we switched our name with yeah, the blue so check mark. You, you previously anything? were able to change your name as much as you want, but since like Bankless is a verified account you can only change your name like once a year or something. I don't know, but like we changed our name and now we can't change it back. So now it's stuck as so Bankmanless. We have emailed support. We have petitioned people. We need, we need to reach out personally. If you know Elon Musk, tell if him knows we Elon. would like this change. From Actually, Bankman we'd Liss. like him on the podcast first. Let's do that first. But also while he's we'll on the ask, podcast, we'll, we'll ask make him on the podcast. We'll yeah. ask. Um, yeah, anyway, so, so we are now Bankmanless for the foreseeable future. 
All right. We're sure thanks, it's not that thanks, far Sam. off. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. not that bad, but also it's just, it's going to be old. Like yeah, next year, this is yeah. going to be real old. next year. God damn it. All right. Uh, I think it's time to shout out some of our heaviest listener listeners mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. David, uh, I know you're a big Spotify user. So am I no, big time. Got yeah. your Spotify wrapped, which mm-hmm. summarizes all of your years listening habits, including podcasts. And we've had some fans that have been fully tapped in during the last year and yeah. have some incredible stats to share. First, Show. We got our uh, bankless stats back from Spotify. Apparently, you and I recorded 16,092 minutes of new content last <laughs> that year. That is insane. We and are this, insane people. This is That's more than 99% of other creators in the business category. I wonder if it's like we, 99.9%. We have, to, we have like to be 9%. in the top 10 of, of our minutes that's of content. That's a lot of content. It's a lot. Do you know how are many we days overdoing this? Do you, no. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many days of content that is, Ryan? No, I haven't. That no, is haven't. 11 days of content. That no. means you and 24 I 24 hour days? 24 hour days. That means you and I have been in the recording studio with the studio recording for 11 days. Dude, this doesn't even count debriefs on the premium podcast. Oh, yeah. This doesn't, doesn't count debriefs. This doesn't count like bonus episodes. Oh, yeah. This is even more than that. Or YouTube only episodes. 11 days? Are you we kidding me? We are insane. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, I don't know what that says about you and I, but let's I talk about what know. it says let's about not the ask. Let's not talk about it. Okay, so we put out a tweet that asked for if you got Bankless in your Spotify wrapped, tweet at us so we could see how many of you listened to Bankless for how long. Yes. Uh, so here we go. Uh, the fake shippy coming in at number one at 21,000 minutes is Bankless. I don't get the hell that happened. Okay, we had 16,000 minutes of, <laughs> of recording last year and uh, shippy listened to 21,000 minutes. It's how are we listing right now? How shippy, did they shout out, man. <laughs> That means you are listening to episodes multiple times at least. Is that what yeah, this you got to be. You can, he, they got to they gotta be listening to it as they go to bed or Shippy, something. You have listened to more Bankless than both. Than we made. That's than we made. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Get this guy a T-shirt. We got to yeah. do something for Shippy. That's uh-huh. huge. That's number nice one. Nice job, Shippy. Well done. All right, uh, let's go through the rest of them. Oh no, that was that was it. Okay, we're not going through all of them. Okay, cool. There was there were so many. Thank you all to everyone who tweeted at us. Uh, so many of you listened to thousands and thousands of minutes. I hope you guys like our voices. Maybe there's a invitation if if you can beat Shippy. Yeah. Um, tweeted us twenty one thousand and ninety three minutes. If you've topped that, let us know and do something special for you guys. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of bankless in your ears, David. Yeah, all right, takes the week. What do we got for the first one? Uh, we got a tweet out of Zeneca thirty three. I know you like this tweet, Ryan. Why don't you read it? All right, because you didn't like it. Is that why? No, I just like bear market opportunities from Seneca. Number one, farm all the airdrops. Number two, yeah, get yeah. familiar with the AI tools. Number three, create content, written, audio, video. Yes, yes, yes. Number four, learn to code. Number five, join DAO. Number six, figure out how to manage the Discord server. Number seven, read about DeFi and layer twos. I actually liked it because of this last sentence. You ready for it, David? Yeah. Wealth is sown in the bear, reaped in the bull. Mm. I know we I mean, that is, all the that time. is very, very metaphorical. Some yeah. things that you can do right now yeah. during the bear market yeah. uh, to be active. I think all of the uh, airdrops that I claimed with Earnify in 2021, I uh, became uh, relevant to those airdrops. I became what is the word? Those airdrops. You uh, you actually earned them. You, I like, earned them. So I got you sowed them. them during like 2020, 2020, yeah, 2020, right? Yeah, and then I, you like, harvest them in, them in 2021. Thanks to Earnify. There you go. <laughs> and sponsored by Earnify. Sponsored by uh, This is a Vitalik tweet. I want to actually read this out and get your take on this. Okay. So this is Vitalik. Uh, the notion of governance rights as a narrative for why a token should be valuable is pathological. You're literally saying, I'm buying X 
because later on, somebody might buy it from me, a bunch of other people, to twist the protocol toward their special interests. Mm. This is Vitalik saying governance rights tokens are not very valuable. It's more pathological. It's more kind of a a meme. Hmm. What do you think about this? I'd like to get Joel Manegro's opinion on this because he was the one that said, yes, the governance of a token is actually the valuable thing. And that's the whole point. As in, if you can govern over something, you can dictate its influence. You can just vote in cash flows yourself. What you you want, right? right? So governance is power. Governance, capital, power, these are all the same things. So the notion of governance rights is narrative. I think it's, I think maybe Vitalik's just kind of being critical of the hand waviness at this. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I I think he's saying governance rights on its own aren't as valuable as some people think that they are, but I don't think that's been the value proposition that, um, DeFi governance tokens have purported. It's more the idea or like the thesis that token holders will vote in cash flows, capital flows, to themselves, get a portion of revenue in the Uniswap fee. Now, mm. that hasn't quite materialized yet. No, no. Like, Uniswap doesn't have a fee switch on to uni token holders yet, does yeah. it? Yeah, so Vitalik continues and says, as a regular individual, pay $500 to get a 0.0001% chance to influence the outcome of some votes is just not a good trade. The only people for whom it is a good trade are multimillionaires and hedge funds. Yeah, but isn't that kind of always the bet that, like, you can't, you don't have much say as a smallly capitalized individual and so like governance power or like the value of Apple governance, like as a retail investor, I can't sway Apple governance, but hedge funds can. But that's why the price exists on the secondary market. Anyways, I'm not sure. I'm confused by this Vitalik take. Yeah, I do think that governance tokens have a lot of uh, problems. We, I mean, we had an episode with Hasu where we've recently talked about this. But um, yeah, I'm not as pessimistic as, uh, as Vitalik on these things. Yeah. yeah. Um, What's Van Spencer saying here? Van Spencer, 2022, not the year everyone wanted, that's for sure, but probably the year we deserved. For Mm. context, Q4 2019 Genesis had about $60 million of loans outstanding. In Q4 of 2021, they had about 50 billion. This is Genesis, the company. Genesis, yeah. 60 million to 50 billion in two years? Yes, right, crazy. Uh, And then he continues, we are back to effectively zero CFI credit available in the industry outside of Maple Finance, which is emergent. Ashes to ashes. Basically saying, the mania is gone, the credit's gone, uh, we are at the bottom. Wow. This is, a, this is a bottom signal to me. He's not calling the bottom, but I'm in calling the bottom on his behalf. These numbers are pretty astounding. We, went, we grew from $60 million in CFI loans to $50 billion. And that's just Genesis. It's not the years, entire yeah. market. Uh, yeah. Now we're back at zero. Um, yeah. A lot of things have been washed away, certainly in this market. But what are you bullish on in spite of all this, David? So DC Investor put out a tweet and said, do you think the people that bought Ether at $120 are inconsolably upset that they did not buy at $80? No. Source me. Uh, As in like DC, one of the guys that was buying the dip with us throughout 2018 to 2020. Uh, And so I follow up on that tweet and I say, all of my sub $300 buys, Ether buys, which that like Ether bounced between $100 and $300 like four times between 2018 and 2020. So I say... All of my sub $300 buys between 2018 and 2020 just blur into that one big dip I bought. And what I am bullish on, Ryan, is that same thing happening all over again <laughs> between $1 and $2,000. I think Ether will bounce between $1 and $2,000 perhaps a couple of times over the next 12, 18, God forbid, 24 months. But then that period of time will just blur into that one big dip that we all bought as we all stuck through the bear market together before Ether goes to to finally $10,000 and beyond. (laughs) 
So, I mean, the, the, this this maybe this uh, obsession. I, I don't think we have an obsession. It's just an interesting number, but like uh, triple digit ETH, right? Whether it does hit triple digits and you buy at nine hundred, or they buy it at twelve hundred, you're not even going to notice if the price of ETH is ten k. Yeah, Ryan. So just buy it then, dude. Again, people are going to say <laughs> you guys are like permables. This sounds crazy. You haven't been saying ten k for a long time. Yes, we have, and we're not yeah. wrong. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, ETH is going to ten k. Like, uh, I don't know when. I don't know how long that will take in the future. <laughs> but uh, I have not wavered one minute from that belief. And I remember when ETH was hanging out at one twenty, people thought it would never hit all time highs again. All time highs being like. 1400 or something like this and here we are we're already at 1400 we did it over 10x since then and this is the, l- the lower point during the bear market all right so um anyway i don't know what else to say but i think he's totally right in that you don't notice a difference in the buys at this so don't time the bottom i think is yeah, the way don't, don't time the don't, peak don't bottom don't obsessed just, with that just buy just go buy right now. <laughs> <It's not financial laughs> whoa, whoa whoa uh ryan where do you bullish on uh bankless labs david yeah. we're doing going beyond education uh, tools for the journey. I think it's really cool to have some more dev talent on the team. I'm really excited about the roadmap that um, we're putting together with uh, for Earnify, integrating that into the rest of the the Bankless product. That's cool. It's cool B- building mm-hmm. software. David, who would have thought? Yeah. Two podcasters. Uh huh. Look at us. A, me- a media company buying a software. Wow, yeah. a software tool. That's great. Uh, I think it's going to be great for people on the Bankless journey and and give us some time, guys, to integrate all of these things together. Right now, there's a separate. Uh, membership that you have for Bankless and for Earnify. I mean, we're going to work uh, as we hire people up over the coming months to uh, to get this all integrated and, and feeling really nice and packaged. But uh, I mean, already, dude, this tool, you, you know what's really fulfilling to me, David, is like, um, you know how the one time I've gone to a conference, all of the people who've, who've come up to us and been like, hey, thank you for building Bankless. Y- mm-hmm. You helped me on my crypto journey. Um, I got a job in crypto. Um, mm-hmm. I... Um, got financially independent right. uh, as a result of this. Uh, I was bullish, and you you developed conviction in some uh, asset set that um, you know did really well and continue to perform. And then I'm a long term holder on like all of these things. It's like I feel like it's value that Bankless has provided the community, and uh, Earnify is another example of this. It's like a mm-hmm. way to quantify that. A hundred and fifty million dollars in confirmed airdrops that people have received in the Bankless journey. You know that thing where we've said. Um, Crypto pays you to learn about crypto. Yeah. Said that mm-hmm. forever. Now we have a tool where you can go harvest these things. You can learn about right. it on a bank list. Now you can go pick it up. And to me, yeah. that's very fulfilling. Like I want to grow those numbers. The number of people that uh, have done well in crypto, who've gone on the journey through bankless education, the number of people who have generated wealth from the crypto economy, those are the numbers that, that mean the most to me. And uh, those are numbers I think we can grow when we have these t- sorts of tools. So I am uh, very bullish on what we were building next with, with Earnify and everything that's coming with Bankless Labs. 100%. Yeah, we've been teasing like Bankless 2.0 for a while, and we've started to have some of these things emerge. Bankless Collectibles came out uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're now announcing this Earnify thing. We've teased a brand new website. Uh, we told people to subscribe to Bankless when that 25% off discount happened last week, but if you didn't, you should have. Um, but there's still more to come. And the cool thing is, is all of these things do seamlessly integrate with each other once all these pieces are out. Uh, so I'm excited for 2023 as we uh, you know, shoot more and more of this ammo that we have of Bankless 2.0 out the door. David, do you know what time it is now? 
Yeah, it's meme of the week time. Let's look at the meme of the week, and you're particularly so bullish on this one. This is <laughs> this is getting ridiculous. What are we looking at, man? This is an article out of the Wall Street Journal titled "Sam Bankman Fried is Super Jacked and Handsome." The FTX founder is super hot. He's amazing, and we love him so much. And there's a Sam picture of Sam Bankman Fried just absolutely ripped, muscle bound. <laughs> It great. Yeah, looking good. Yeah, there, reminder, man. this is a meme. This is not real. <laughs> Although, but, like, to this day, do you even know? Do I don't you know. Really know. That's what's funny about it. I mean, you could actually see this uh, in the Wall Street Journal. All right, guys. I mean, this um, one's kind of egregious, but. <laughs> stick around, though, for the moment of Zen. Actually, the moment of Zen today, we are a uh, quick conversation that you had with Dawson, who's the co founder of Bankless Labs. So stick around if you want to hear about that. Of course, as always, got to tell you about the risks and disclaimers got to say none of this has been financial advice it never is crypto is risky so is eth so is bitcoin no matter what price you buy these things at we're headed west this is the frontier it's not for everyone but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey thanks a lot hey dawson what's earnify earnify is the airdrop checker earnify is a web3 notification tool that will let you know of all the things you have to go claim for your wallet claim for your wallet what does that mean so claiming for your wallet is things like airdrops whitelists, NFT mints. Earnify will check you for all these and let you know instantly what you have to go claim. Why do I need it? You need it because without Earnify, you don't know when you have unclaimed assets. This is tens of thousands of dollars sometimes that are just out there waiting for you, for your wallet specifically. How many people use Earnify? There are over 250,000 people who trust Earnify for notifications. Okay, so with Earnify, I plug in my Ethereum address and it tells me what airdrops I can collect, right? Exactly. It allows you to do that for not just one address either. You can do it up to 10 addresses. Up to 10 addresses. And so how much money have you made people? There are over $150 million worth of airdrops that have been found through Earnify since launching two years ago. $150 million. So people have put in their Ethereum addresses, multiple of them, into Earnify, and Earnify has uh, helped them claim $1.5 million? Not just $1.5 million, $150 million. Oh, excuse me, $150 million. That's amazing. What, why did you make Earnify? What inspired you to make it? You know, I'm a crypto degen, just like all of you. I found that I had unclaimed airdrops that I didn't know about, and so I made this tool originally for myself to check my wallets, and then it turned out that a lot of other people wanted the exact same set of features. So is it just airdrops? It is much more than just airdrops. So Earnify began originally from a hackathon two years ago as the airdrop checker. And now Earnify has expanded to pull-up tokens, NFT mints, whitelists, and many other things like pull-up raffles for just all the free things that you don't know about yet for your wallets. So what do I get if I sign up for Earnify? If you sign up for Earnify, you're going to be able to check your addresses right now, but you will also be signed up for email notifications when you match a new claimable asset in the future. So this means that when an airdrop goes live, you can be the first to know that your wallets are in that airdrop. But you can also pay for Earnify, right? What, what do you get if you pay for Earnify? If you're a serious DeFi user, you should pay for Earnify because you'll be able to watch more than just two addresses. You'll be able to watch up to 10. And that means that you will get these email notifications for up to 10 of your addresses. So you'll know more about all of the addresses that you have and all the assets that you can go claim. How is Earnify different from any other airdrop notification service? Airdrop's much more than just an airdrop notification service. Airdrop is the highest quality. There is zero spam allowed. Everything is manually reviewed, tested, and checked to make sure that it's worth your time. Not just your time, but also your money. Because I believe, just like everyone else who is on the bankless journey, that we should stay safe and avoid some of these spam issues, some of these bankruptcy issues that we've been seeing 
over in the CeFi world. What are Earnify's plans for the future? Is there a roadmap? Earnify has huge plans for the future. Beyond just airdrops, Earnify is going to be checking you for all the things that your wallet can have. So when new NFTs drop, you can be notified of that. When your ENS names are about to expire, you can be notified of that. When anything happens on chain, you need to be enabled to respond to that with something like Earnify to notify you right away to go take action. Maybe your DeFi loans are about to get liquidated. Maybe the ENS name you've always wanted is about to go up for auction and you can bid on it. Earnify will notify you of all these things in the future.